Hi, I'm Chris Raker, and this is the Did You Get That podcast. Did You Get That offers bite-sized reflections on scripture and life to consider and chew on. For more information about this podcast and other ministries and to access resources, go to the Vertical 101 website. That's V-E-R-T-I-C-A-L-101.com. In this episode, I'm kicking off a series on creation care. I'm looking forward to having a number of Christians uh, from various backgrounds contribute to this series who are directly involved with environmental issues, to have them share their thoughts on why Christians should care about the environment. I'm starting the series by making an argument for creation care because it's not all going to burn. I've been a church planter, a pastor, a Bible college instructor, uh, particularly uh, in ethics. And uh, as part of our ethics course, I would teach on creation care. But I always think about when we were church planting, we often joked when something went wrong, we'd say, that's okay, it's all going to burn anyway. Now, many Christians are not concerned about environmental issues because they think it will be all destroyed at the second coming of Jesus Christ. One of the chief texts that leads to this thinking is 2 Peter 3, verses 3 through 13. So let me read that. 2 Peter 3, 3 through 13. Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Well, that sure sounds like the world as we know it will be replaced uh, one day when Jesus returns. Verse 7, the heavens and earth are reserved for fire. Verse 10, heavens will pass away, elements will burn up. Verse 11, these things are to be destroyed. Verse 12, heavens destroyed by burning, elements will melt with intense heat. Verse 13, new heavens and a new earth. So it sounds like destruction. However, Peter is in fact not teaching destruction. He's not teaching annihilation or replacement of uh, the world as we know it, but rather what he's teaching is a radical renovation. So let me show you this. In verses 5, 7, 10, 13, we have this language of heaven and earth. They're paired together. And so throughout 
the passage, this pairing of heaven and earth is a way to uh, indicate all of God's creation, the entire uh, created order. And notice that in verse 6, Peter talks about the flood. He reminds his readers that the history of the universe has not been uniform. It has had dramatic moments, uh, especially the flood. Verse 6, he says, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. Well, in verse 10, I hold that thought, and I'll get back to it. Verse 10 says uh, that the creation will be burned up. But a better translation would be, uh, will be discovered or found or will be exposed. That's how the ESV and the CEB translate it or will be laid bare, as the NIV translates it. So Peter is saying the things done on the earth will be exposed. It's like the passage in Isaiah 26, 21, that the earth will expose the blood uh, shed upon it. So rather than meaning burnt up and disintegrated, it's language talking about the exposure of sin. Then verses 7, 10, and 12, we have the language of fire and heat. consumed in fire is really more of a Western concept, a Roman or a Norse idea. The Hebrew and Old Testament view of fire is of God's judgment and cleansing. You see this throughout the Old Testament, and particularly in places like Isaiah and Micah 1. So again, think about verse 6, where Peter talks about the destruction of the world by the flood. Peter calls the flood the destruction of the world, but it wasn't the destruction of the world. The world was not destroyed. It was not annihilated. Rather, the flood was a cleansing. And Peter parallels that with the destruction, the quote, destruction of the present heavens and earth. So what he's really talking about is not annihilation, but cleansing. And then we have that language of the elements melting. That could mean components of the physical world, or it could mean heavenly bodies like the sun, the moon, the planets. Um, It's a difficult passage to translate, to understand. But in either case, melting does not equal destruction. It's a changing of form. So in the same way, the world was not destroyed by the flood. It will not be destroyed at the return of Jesus Christ, but it will be changed. It will be cleansed. So this 2 Peter 3 is a difficult passage, but when we look at it in the light of Peter paralleling uh, what he's saying here with the flood, And we consider passages like the end of Romans 8 and uh, Colossians 1, and we consider the wider theological view that God is a God of redemption, not of destruction, that God redeems. Um, We see that this passage is speaking of cleansing, renewal, and transformation. But, you say, doesn't the Bible talk about this world being removed in the book of Revelation? So let's take take a real quick look at that. And remember, Revelation is telling us about God's purposes, and it's not always uh, a literal, straightforward picture of physical reality in the future. So Revelation 20.11 says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And then in Revelation 21.1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. So does this language mean destruction of the present world, or could it be similar to what we uh, saw in in the 2 Peter passage? 
the removal of sinful elements of life? Is it a picture uh, that sin has no place to hide? Here's another interesting passage uh, right from Revelation, Revelation 11:18. The nations were enraged and your wrath came and the time came for the dead to be judged and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. Now you see, hear that, to destroy those who will destroy the earth. God's concerned about his creation and defends it, bringing judgment on people who harm his creation. It would be rather odd if he destroyed the creation that he is defending when he's judging those who are destroying it. So in fact, when we consider the Greek word that John uses that's translated new, um, new heavens, new earth, we get when we think of what the, the Greek word is that he's using, we get a better picture of what he's talking about. For new, John uses the Greek word kainos, K-A-I-N-O-S, transliterated into English. Kainos means the renewal of what is already there. John doesn't use the Greek word neo, N-E-O, which means something totally new. So there's an important difference between neo and kainos. Kainos, which, got, which John uses here, means something repaired and restored to its original condition. And what's the original condition of creation? Unfallen. Unfallen. So this understanding makes sense of other passages like Romans 21.5. He who sits on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. So God says, I'm making all things, all things new, not I'm making new things. So this understanding also makes sense of Romans 11:15. Then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. The kingdom of this world is taken over by Jesus uh, in, in his parousia and his second coming, who makes it fully his kingdom. The picture here is one of making the existing cosmos wholly God's kingdom, not erasing it and starting over. Colossians 1.20 says, And through him, through Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Colossians 1.20. God's reconciling what? All things, things on earth and in heaven. As uh, theologians Douglas and Jonathan Moo have said, God's redemptive plan encompasses the whole of reality, physical as well as spiritual. All these passages, including Romans 8, which we haven't had time for, um, Tell us that the creation will be set free, liberated, reconciled, transformed, not destroyed. So the conclusion is Christians should care about the environment because God is making all things new, not all new things.